My name is Alan Smithson, your host for the XR for Business podcast, where we interview industry leaders who are either making or using immersive virtual, augmented, and mixed reality solutions for business. From marketing and sales, to logistics and training, to design and remote collaboration, learn how the world's largest organizations are implementing an XR for Business strategy and why you should too. Today's guest is Jacob Lowenstein, VP of Business Development and Strategy at Spatial. Spatial's mission is to empower people to be more connected, creative, and productive. Organizations are increasingly distributed across offices and information doesn't flow easily. Success depends on people working together. Their first product enables people to collaborate anywhere with AR. The founders have deep backgrounds in 3D user interfaces. Co-founder Anand Agarwala sold his previous startup to BumpTop, a 3D physics multi-touch desktop to Google, and also demoed this in a TED Talk. Co-founder Jinha Lee developed pioneering AR interfaces at MIT, Microsoft, and Samsung, and then also showed them at a TED Talk. They are a passionate team of 3D designers, VR and AR experts, based in New York and San Francisco. Our guest today, Jacob, has also been a partner at Samsung Next, and I'm really, really excited because Spatial's raised a seed round from such amazing investors as Anovia Capital, Expa, Lehrer Hippo, Leaders Fund, and Samsung Next. To learn more about Spatial, you can visit spatial.is. Jacob, welcome to the show. Hey, it's crazy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's my absolute pleasure. We uh, had a, an awesome opportunity to meet at Charlie Fink's exclusive dinner at CES this year. And I was really blown away by the warmth and passion that you bring. And so I want to just thank you for taking the time to jump on the show with me. I had a blast at that dinner. And I believe we both had delicious Indian food together. And so shout out to Charlie for organizing that. I met a ton of wonderful people. And the compliment goes right back in the other direction. I mean, you've been at this for a while as such a, a positive and fundamental figure helping shed attention and light on the projects in the space that matter and that are moving the needle. And frankly, you've been moving the needle yourself and have been a, a builder in the space for some time. And so I'm excited to chat with you and happy to answer any and all questions. Well, on that note, and I thank you for that, tell me about Spatial. I know about it, but for the people listening, really, you guys have built an enormously powerful tool. So maybe give us the idea of what Spatial is and how it's being used. Totally. So I'm going to give you the headline. And I think the backstory is a little bit illuminating. So I know you spoke a bit about that already, but I'm going to dive deeper. But the headline is that spatial enables people to collaborate from anywhere with augmented reality. And the idea is essentially we're all big believers in the VR and AR space. I imagine folks that listen to this podcast are or are trying to learn to be. And if you've done a lot of demos in VR, AR, you've probably encountered the same phenomenon, which is you get someone to put on the headset and they say, oh, wow, this is cool. And they smile and they compliment you. And you probably never hear from them again. And it's because most demos in VR and AR, frankly, are not that useful. And they wouldn't really generate particular impact for an enterprise or any given organization. And so one of the underlying motivations of Spatial was to say, instead of being trapped in this like OG experimental phase of VR and AR, could we actually build something that we felt provided real utility for enterprises? And the way that we arrived at what we do, which is essentially enabling teams and companies that are distributed around the world to work together as if they were in the same room, was we went back to fundamentals. Anand and Jinha are two of the leading 3D interface designers in the world. 
And Anand, he built this first company called Bumptop that he gave his TED Talk on. What Bumptop really was is it was AR before AR. Even before there were touchscreens in phones, Anand was asking the question, how can we use the touchscreen to enable people to more intuitively interact with information and really to interact with information the same way they interact with objects in the real world? After he gave his TED Talk on it, there was interest from Apple and, and Google ended up buying his company. And the idea being Andy Rubin felt that Android and the mobile phone could really transform how people interact with information and how they communicate with one another. And Jinha, several years later, gave a TED Talk. At that time, he was getting his PhD at the MIT Media Lab, but he shared a very common passion with Anand, which was this idea of blending the digital world and the real world. And so Jinha received a ton of acclaim while he was at MIT for his research on this idea of the tangible pixel. And that was the idea of blending the digital and real world. And Jinha built the world's first desktop AR computer, which he called Spacetop. And he actually kind of named it Spacetop as an homage to Bumptop, even though he had never met Anand. So when he gave his TED Talk in 2013, he showed off these prototypes and showed off the work and he met Anand and they both realized that they were spirit animals. The funny thing was that they wanted to work together then and there, but Jinnah had to go do his military service in Korea. And it ended up being that he worked out this special deal where he did it as a research fellow at Samsung. So Jinha built all these prototypes as the lead 3D interface designer for Samsung's TV business unit, transformed how Samsung thought about interfaces. And Jinha started to really think about how he could change interfaces to enable people to access information anywhere, interact with it more intuitively, and even better connect people. And when Jinha finished up at Samsung, AR had sort of started catching on in earnest. It was around 2015. The first HoloLens had come out. Jinha had worked at Microsoft Research. And he had offers to go back to Microsoft Research and Google and all these other companies and do serious hefty work for them on AR. But Anand had had this original idea, which was basically to try and build the Android for AR. That was where Spatial kind of started. That's adventurous. That's very adventurous. And they did a ton of experimentation. And what they realized was they felt that they were getting themselves a little bit down this path of like ingenious experimentation sort of eye-opening bits and pieces, but they didn't feel like the industry was ready for something that was that expansive. And so instead they said, well, what can we take from our experiments that feels like it's actually onto something that'll be really useful? And so they went back to the fundamentals of what does AR really do for a user? And what are the particular pain points that people are having? And what they realized was the following. Firstly, in the crossing the chasm sort of path, it became clear to us that Enterprises where this was all going to get started because enterprise folks were feeling the same pain points of consumers, but there were pillars in place that would make it easier for enterprises to adopt AR versus consumers in terms of having a greater willingness to pay relative to the ROI they could get because AR was going to be expensive in the early going. And the pain was more pronounced and identified at an enterprise level than it was at a consumer level, which enterprises were far more well aware of the problems they were having that AR could solve than consumers were. That's where this aha moment came to say, well, it seems really clear that the biggest problem that enterprises are having that other technologies are not are no longer moving the needle on are enterprise. And I reference other technologies because one really important thing was that AR not only has to do a good job at solving the problem, but has to do a better job than other technologies or even just fundamentally human ways of solving it. So what is the problem? 
problem is that companies are distributed. They have people all over the world that need to work together, yet they can't do it well. They have a couple of tools available to them that move the needle a bit, things like voice or video chat. But as you go beyond having just a handful of people interacting, and as you go beyond trying to collaborate on one single piece of information, those tools break down. If you look at the size of the video conferencing market, estimates put it at like 20 to $30 billion. And you look at the size of the business travel market, which is you know, $1.3 trillion and growing, it's very, very clear that people still have a very strong preference to be in the same room with one another in order to effectively collaborate. And traveling sucks. It's expensive. Yeah, it's funny because we've done 25 episodes and there's been at least five episodes where we talk about the fact that virtual and augmented reality allows you to travel and transport and collaborate with people without traveling because traveling to the beach with your family, awesome. Traveling to a boardroom for a one-hour meeting, not so much. It's horrendous. I mean, listen, I'm not going to make the case that AR is going to eliminate all forms of travel. There are forms of travel that are still enjoyable or useful. And in the short and medium term, we're under no illusion that a lot of business travel is this ritualistic form of relationship building where the very fact that I'm willing to sacrifice to see you is some sort of signifier of the importance of the relationship. That's going to continue to happen. But there's so much frivolous travel that happens for interactions that could so easily be done in AR. We think that it would become very obvious and very easy very quickly for people to elect to travel this way than taking hours and hours and hours out of their life, sitting on this uncomfortable aluminum tube where people get sick and they hurt their backs and their legs get really, really cramped up. And if you told someone they could avoid all that and do it in AR, I think people would be very interested. And the signal to us so far has been that hell yeah. Give us an example of this spatial augmented reality and why does it better in augmented reality versus virtual reality? Why would I want that? Or is this maybe something that can be bridged across both when you need a fully immersive space versus that? Why would somebody use this over VR? It's a great question. The short answer is, is that our goal is to enable people to choose what they want in the medium and long term. In the short term, our observations are the following. Each medium has its own advantages or disadvantages. We feel that augmented reality, particularly in enterprise, for the use cases that we're talking about now, has the following advantages. Number one, people are not quote unquote isolated. They continue to see the real world around them. And relatedly, they can also continue to see their other devices while they're working in the medium. We felt that just from a pure comfort perspective, we were hearing from a lot of folks in enterprise that there was uh, discomfort not seeing their environment. There was frustration at not being able to see their other devices. And thirdly, and this is actually very important, in a lot of enterprise collaboration scenarios, you tend to have a mix of people that are not just entirely remote, but also people that are physically in the same space together that want to work together. And those people found it kind of awkward that they were sitting next to another human being, but couldn't actually see that real person, even though they were sitting next to them. There it is right there. Being in virtual reality, if you're across the country or around the world, that's great. But if you're standing in the same room together, putting on VR headsets, even though you're standing in the same room doesn't make sense. Absolutely. But to your other point, we do intend to experiment and support VR over time because we do feel that in certain circumstances, it is beneficial to be in an entirely virtual space. 
In particular, the thing we're hearing more and more is for workers that are entirely remote, and that's actually increasingly common either because people are freelancing more and more or because businesses are becoming more comfortable with remote work. There's an increasing demand for people to feel like they are in a certain space. And more and more often we're hearing either people want to feel like they're in what we call the center of gravity, which may be the space where most of the people are collaborating from. So for example, if I am joining a board meeting and eight people are in one space and I happen to be remote in an entirely different space, it makes me feel more connected with that group and that environment if I'm in a simulated or streamed boardroom or in some other instances that location that I see around me in the virtual space may have some real relevance to the task at hand. So for example, if I'm going through some sort of instruction or training exercise where my environment really matters, then we can understand why it might be important to jump into a VR headset and limit the distraction from the real environment around me and replace it with an entirely virtual environment. Now in spatial, and your friend, Mr. Jonathan Moss, amazing human being who we were talking about before we started, they're in trial with us and doing some work in spatial. And one actually really interesting thing that they've achieved, and this wasn't even something that we had thought of, but they used our platform in a pretty interesting way, is they actually load up a sprint room and they actually achieve a pretty remarkable mixed reality effect in the hall lens where they load up a life-size sprint store and you actually, even though you're in AR, you still sort of feel like you are in a virtual space. It's hard to describe because you kind of have to try it. But uh, we've actually started achieving this sort of MR effect where you can still see the world around you, but it's without full occlusion. And so you still see through it in a semi-transparent way, the real sprint store overlaid on the world around you. So you're not cut off from the world. You're not cut off from people that are in the same room with you, but you're also not in this entirely isolated state as well. We did an experiment a little while ago about how to sell running shoes in mixed reality. So in the HoloLens and we brought the shoes in and it was cool to see shoes in the room. But then we said, well, what if we change the environment and it's not your living room, but it's now a basketball court. So we actually did exactly what you're saying and built this box around you that you're in a basketball court, the sounds of playing. And then it wasn't that I was on the basketball court. It was around me. The sounds were there. I could see the basketball court but the shoes were there and it just changed the whole context. Right on. And there are these UX innovations. We try and develop some of them from the ground up, but some of them just happen through experimentation. And that's the joy of working with our customers. I should also give another example. Mattel is our biggest customer. And it was such a nice lock and key fit for what they were looking for and what we could provide because they have folks in Southern California and Buffalo, where Fisher Price is located, and in China, and they have this value chain in terms of how they develop and create toys that involves brainstorming and engineering and then manufacturing planning. It's this life cycle of the product that spans across multiple sites where people really need to work closely together. And the friction that exists in that current process that results from people having to travel or having to work in 2D in video conferencing is really painful. So you could imagine that being able to transport anywhere with AR and feel like you're in the same room with people. Beyond just what it does from a communications perspective, but what it does from a relationship building perspective, just in terms of how humans bond with one another smooths out working together enough. And then on top of that, the fact that they can then brainstorm in spatial. So we have a feature that we call ThoughtFlow, where you can literally just throw up your fingers, speak out what you're thinking of, and visualize that information immediately and organize it on walls. 
so they can brainstorm within Spatial. They can start to bring in their designs or even using our new HoloLens 2 features, animate and draw within Spatial. I have to give myself a little bit of a self shout out because we were just on stage with Satya Nadella for the second time at Microsoft Build, which is their big developer conference. It was in Seattle and we demonstrated the next step in our collaboration with Microsoft, which is not just developing more features that are native to HoloLens 2, which in this case included being able to draw just with your fingertips, having full hand tracking and eye tracking so the avatars really come to life but we're actually doing really, really deep integration with the Microsoft Graph. And this is a really important point. If AR lives separately from the existing ways that you collaborate, not in AR, there will be a wall of friction that will prevent organizations or enterprises from wanting to adopt it. And I'm speaking to those that are listening that are thinking like, yeah, this all sounds well and good, but I already have all these existing software tools. This sounds like a nightmare to have to adopt some other thing. And so the really cool thing about Spatial is that you can jump into a spatial collaboration straight from your existing collaboration tools. And here's what that looks like. I could be working in Microsoft Teams and we could be sharing information, typing, doing video chat. And we might decide, oh, well, we need to get into holographic here to really start to do things like annotate on the 3D model or visualize all the information we just loaded up. Instead of having to jump into a headset and go through this weird system of uploading files and have some other login, we can literally use your Active Directory login. You can generate a QR code. You just look at the QR code through your headset. It detects your eyes, basically does eye scanning to verify who you are. And you're instantly in spatial with all the information you were just working on immediately visualized. Your avatar, everything that you were working on, all ready to go. That was my head just exploding. People are always like, BS, there's no way. So the demo we did at Microsoft Build on stage with Satya was live fully live demo of everything we did. And then on top of that, just to prove even more that this was real, we were open for demos for a couple of days to the public at Build where they got to try it for themselves. We're reaching that level of frictionless experience, that easy to integrate with the existing ways you collaborate. And oh, by the way, lucky us, it happens to be that like the Microsoft Graph and the Microsoft Stack is already being used by most Fortune 1000 companies anyway. We're integrating the stack that most of these big companies are already using. About a year ago, the HoloLens moved from the devices division of the company over to the Azure cloud computing side of the company. And that was the precursor to this. I believe Microsoft also saw this as, hey, HoloLens is cool as a standalone tool, but if it integrates with everything, then it's a real enterprise tool. And you guys have taken full advantage of that. I can't speak for Microsoft, but I think anything I'm about to summarize is probably already out there in some form from comments they've already given. But I think that's exactly right. And I think that Microsoft's vision for AR is that it is this interface that allows you to access information that lives anywhere on any device. And the connective tissue that enables that are these series of Azure services that they offer, whether it's pure Azure cloud or some other Azure services that allow you to then go and load up or interact with that information in an effective way. I do think that that's Microsoft's vision. And I think that they're building these groundbreaking devices like the HoloLens 1 or 2 to accelerate the space. But in the near future, when lots of different companies are producing these AR headsets, I presume that Microsoft is just going to try and be essentially the fundamental OS layer and cloud layer that provides all the services that enable you to just collaborate effectively. Well, you're already seeing that with Microsoft giving their entire tech stack to their mixed reality partners. So they've said, okay, here's all the tech we have in the HoloLens. 
and they've licensed it out to HP and Lenovo and Dell so that they can make a hardware. So you're already seeing that distribution of the technology from a hardware standpoint, all running on the Microsoft Azure stack. So it's a really smart play. If you just look at how they work with developers and in terms of the mixed reality toolkit and the early access to Azure services that they offer, I mean, they're really trying to empower developers to build the future of AR and they just want to offer these fundamental services. Total pleasure working with Microsoft on that front. And it's convenient for us that Microsoft is already like the biggest show in town in terms of enterprise services for these companies, because it means that not only is it just a pleasure working with a good partner, but it also helps us get ready enough to snuff to work with all these big companies anyway. Yeah, it gives you global scale almost instantly, which is fantastic. But it's also worth noting that Spatial is a cross-platform company. I say this simultaneously, which is Microsoft's an incredible partner, but we also know that there are other great companies helping make AR a reality out there. And so we have our Magic Leap build coming out very soon. That's really exciting. And obviously the Magic Leap one is a tremendous device and we're excited about Magic Leap as they continue to push the space. And I can't talk publicly about it yet, but we're also working from some other big partners, big names that are building hardware and building platforms in the space because we think that a lot of people have good ideas about AR. There's going to be some amazing stuff coming out. I just got invited to an event at AWE where it's a company that you wouldn't think of is going to be launching something in AR. Exactly. Coming out of the woodwork. Well, for sure. And they have to. We used to talk about this at Samsung all the time, which is whether it's glasses or a contact lens, until you get to like some sort of deep neural uplink, to some extent, AR is the last medium. And there are going to be a lot of different hows in terms of how you plug into that medium. But this type of visual interface is kind of the last interface. I think a lot of companies realize that if they don't own some piece of it, they're going to be locked out forever because AR is going to be computing, period. Like we're not going to be talking about AR at some point. It's just going to be computing. I keep saying to people, within the next 10 years, we're going to look back and say, wow, I can't believe we used to look at these flat screens all the time and we carried around a phone. It'll be slow and it'll take longer than most people anticipate. And all of a sudden, one day, we'll be wearing a pair of glasses that does everything for us. And the whole world is now our computer. And we just don't know any better. It's like picking up a BlackBerry now. It, it feels obsolete. That's right. To that point, it's really important for the big companies that are trying to produce things in the space. Because, listen, you're not going to have a cell phone. You're not going to have a TV. Like all these devices that some big temp companies produce, you're not going to have a monitor. I mean, the HoloLens 2 is already doing like 2K in each eye, which is basically almost at the resolution your monitor is already at. And so why would you own a monitor if you could just put on like a pair of glasses that's really comfortable, wear it for a while, and by the way, have a ton of different monitors and be able to paint the world, to borrow Charlie Fink's phrase, paint the world with data or paint the world with information. It's a better offering for users. And actually, we talk about this at Spatial all the time, like, we have this feature that we haven't really shown publicly yet, which is essentially like this infinite desktop feature. And I do think that that's also going to be a big part of the story of what pulls people into AR. Like I think AR in the initial going is going to be very fundamentally about only a few features, particularly head-mounted AR. And we think that it's probably going to be some combination of single player mode where you just can visualize a ton of information with the same fidelity that you would look at your monitor, but you just don't have to have a bunch of monitors. And then we think the combination of that plus being able to collaborate very seamlessly natively in 3D on information 
that combination probably surpasses what people could do with lots of different devices and other mediums. And it brings it together under one umbrella. And that's a very compelling offering for people. And once you have all your information sort of under one umbrella, then like once it's already convenient enough to just jump into AR, then it's going to be a lot more convenient to start bringing all the other apps natively into AR because you're already in the experience. And that's kind of how it happened in mobile, right? It's like I started using my phone for one thing, which is essentially like email and maybe taking a photo and using my calculator. And then it started becoming a pain in the butt to use my phone for one thing and my desktop for other things. And so there are a lot of things we do on our phone that's kind of better to do on a laptop or desktop, but because the phone already has this gravitational pull for the things that really matter, I just start doing the mobile version of it over and over. And, and I think that's what transition starts to look like in AR. Yeah, Google Drive. <laughs> Google Drive on mobile, it's not fun, but it gets the job done. Exactly. One of the things that I saw, and I'm not sure what video it was, and this kind of blew my mind because a lot of companies, they'll bring everybody together and they'll create like a war room. They say war room, but getting together, putting all your ideas on the walls, putting your sticky notes up, and you're like really just brainstorming and coming up with collaborative ideas, bringing in photos, printing them off, stick them on the wall, and you create this room full of all your ideas. But then somebody else has the room booked. You got to pull all this stuff down. You, you end up taking some pictures. Hopefully somebody makes some notes. With Spatial, you can create this war room hit save, or it probably automatically saves, and then automatically come back anytime you want into the exact room and look at the war room. That's right. That, to me, for marketing companies, is going to be a game changer. 100%. And by the way, like, yeah, you could come back into the same physical room or any physical room and just remap that information to your existing surroundings. Here's an interesting little anecdote. One of the things we think about a lot, actually, is PowerPoint. So the story of PowerPoint is essentially, if you think about the early 90s and how people did presentations, most people didn't put together robust presentations to have meetings. For really, really big deal things, you might put together some slides and get some people who can draw to do it. Or you might use some like early presentation software to put it together, but most people weren't great at using that. And so it was a special thing. And then what happened was some of these Microsoft Office tools came out like PowerPoint and they embedded within certain groups of people, like MBAs going to consulting companies. And the MBAs basically started figuring out like, wow, actually, I could start preparing all sorts of meetings in slide presentation. And it actually makes it a lot easier for me to communicate the points I want to communicate in a manner that encourages recall and that draws attention and does all these things that actually, at the end of the day, make people just recognize the work you're actually doing and recognize the message you're trying to promulgate. So what was originally a somewhat niche activity grew in popularity because the barrier to entry to doing it diminished. And so presentation went from a special thing to a very common thing. And part of our intuition is that we think something similar can happen with war rooming. We're like right now, companies for some specific tasks, they're always going to set up this type of like design thinking kind of room. And it's kind of difficult to do, but you have to like take all these post-its and you put stuff on the wall and then you have to reserve the room for a couple of days, all these things you just said. We're saying, well, yes, for the people that are already doing that, certainly this is like bullseye for them. It's so much better. They could take that room wherever they go. The hall end sits in their backpack. It's not limited to one room anymore. And they don't have to physically use any of these tools. They could just use their fingertips and flick things onto the wall. And it's just so much easier. But the other thing we're trying to say is like that if the barrier to entry the, that type of exercise was insanely low, 
would that type of thinking become way more popular within organizations and become a whole new way to conduct meetings? Because right now, most people are kind of lazy about how they run meetings. If someone even puts together an agenda, it's like, wow, you know, 10 points for Gryffindor. And then if you put together a PowerPoint, you know, my God, promotion. We have a policy. We will not have a meeting without an agenda. Well, exactly. But if those are the only tools you have to run a meeting, it's kind of bare bones. At the end of the day, all this brainstorming and conversation happens. The best you can hope for is that someone was taking some notes and sent them out. And then maybe two people look at that notes, but most people never again. And so this idea of being able to manifest information, put it on the walls, use your physical space to organize that information, and then be able to return to it is pretty wild. And if you can make it really easy to run a meeting that way, companies are going to find that it's just a much more effective way to run a meeting. People are going to take away a lot more. They're going to return to it. And it's going to make the bang for your buck of a meeting that much more pronounced. Part of what we're hoping is for what we're creating in this design thinking room. It's not perfectly analogous to the PowerPoint, but we're hoping the crossover in terms of impact, similar impact is similar. And by the way, like we're continuing to experiment with a lot more use cases for spatial and a lot more different kinds of review meetings. And so we're definitely trying to get deeper into what else is improved by having that spatial interface or being able to intuitively and natively interact with 3D information without having to translate it from a 2D interface into your native way you process information, which is in 3D. And we think the potential is limitless. It really is. So let's get down to some practicals here, because I think people are assuming that this is some pie in the sky. This may be something we'll do in 10 years from now, but the stuff that you guys are working on, companies are using it right now. You mentioned Mattel, you mentioned Sprint uh, and our friend, Jonathan Moss. So shout Shout out to Jonathan. (laughs) Really, what is the timeline around this and what are some of the costs involved? What are the key performance indicators that you're using with your customers to figure out what is the value being generated here? Uh, What are the costs? What are the ROIs? And what is it going to take for a company to start using spatial now? The good news is it's like extremely easy and relative to the ROI, like not expensive. So here's how it works. First and foremost, Spatial's cross-platform. We actually even have a phone and web app that you can use even if you don't have headsets, which makes it really easy to adopt because companies, enterprises, it takes some time to adopt headsets in significant number. And so knowing that no one's going to be left out of the experience is pretty important to them. You're going to need some headsets, whether it's HoloLens 1 or 2 or Magic Leap 1, to have the experience. And so companies need to come to terms with buying those headsets. And so that's the first cost. Is Spatial available on HoloLens 1? Uh, we are in HoloLens 1. You can download us today. We're in the store and give you a trial account willy-nilly. I'm going to get it right now. Yeah, absolutely. While we're on this call, while I'm listening, I'm going to pull it up. So grab, yep, S-P-A-T-I-A-L. Just search that in the Microsoft Store in the HoloLens. The other really cool thing is that, and by the way, I'll we need to set you up with an account, which I, while I'm good at multitasking, I'm not great at doing that while we're doing it, but I'll set that up right after this podcast is over. The next thing is the Microsoft Graph integration is pretty seamless. So if you have Microsoft Teams and want to do that integration, that's super easy. But all you need to do is just download Spatial. We're in the store, email us, we'll set you up with accounts. In terms of what it costs, it's quite reasonable. One single telepresence room from companies like Cisco or some of these other companies costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. For the same price, you could basically roll out spatial for your entire organization with unlimited accounts. If you can justify the ROI, which most of these big companies do for one of these single rooms, which is by the way, only in one location, no one knows how to use it. And basically you have to 
get people to travel to the location just to use it, the fact that you can use spatial on any of these headsets anywhere in the world, it's just a far stronger value proposition. And then in terms of how you measure the impact, well, that's also pretty easy from our part. Some companies have very specific KPIs depending on like what their specific use case is. But the general KPIs are essentially just, if you look at the number of meetings that you're conducting in spatial, you can take a pretty reasonable average of what the cost would be to do that meeting and travel for that meeting. And it's usually some combination of X hundreds of dollars for airfare. You'd have to look at the averages for your organization, X hundreds of dollars for your hotel, X hundreds of dollars spent on meal, X tens of hundred dollars spent on your ride share. And what you are basically finding, I mean, I'm, the company, I can't disclose this, but one of the companies we're in trial with, they do this research collaboration it's for this one type of meeting, and they use this for multiple types of meetings. For, but for one specific type of meeting, they do this research collaboration in spatial. You do that once a quarter for this research team that's located around the world, that's $40,000 in travel costs for one meeting. So you do that four times a year for just one meeting, you're already basically paying spatial back as is. And so if you roll this out even a little bit more scaled out within your organization, the payback you get on it is insane in terms of just travel savings. The other general KPI we'll do is we'll just do a type of like net promoter score just for people to vote on and tell you whether this is having actual impact and moving the needle in terms of their effectiveness of meetings. And they'll vote on that frequently just to let you know the quality of meetings. So that's more of a qualitative measure. But between those real travel cost savings and between the qualitative measure where people are weighing in on whether this is better or not, the signal is very clear that spatial is enormously helpful for organizations. It's extremely easy to set up. It's very, very reasonably priced. And then when they actually start using it, it's an aha moment of, oh, wow, I'm having not just a meeting that's as effective as an in-person meeting, but a meeting that far surpasses that. Because in an in-person meeting, I don't have the ability to bring in people from anywhere. I don't have the ability to manifest any information in my fingertips, 2D or 3D, and place it on the wall. I don't have the ability to annotate at my fingertips and draw and basically communicate in these very precise ways. When I'm in person, all I can do is just talk at you. And so all that has added up to a real transformation and collaboration. I would end with, we're not a future concept. We are real and available today. Enterprises right now, we're exclusively working with Fortune 1000 companies. We're actually going to be opening up soon and putting out a spatial free trial version just out there for anyone to use. If you're a Fortune 1000 company, reach out to us today. And if you're not and you're still clamoring to use this, like the good news is, is we're going to be opening up pretty soon. And so watch out for us. Hopefully by the fall, we'll have that out there for multiple folks to use. I'm actually downloading Spatial. It is 154 megabyte file. So very small file too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of hard work went into to optimizing that. We do a pretty interesting split between work on the device and in the cloud. It's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. So this has been really awesome. I want to thank you so much, Jacob, for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know you guys are going kind of flat out getting Spatial to the world. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you. I mean, hopefully I'll see you and some of the other friends of the podcast. I will be at AWE. We're going to give a talk there and potentially could demo for folks that are out there if they're interested in that. Uh, I'm actually going to be there as well. I'm co-chairing the startup track this year, and then I'm also doing a, a panel with some incredible people from all different companies using augmented reality for marketing. So I'm looking forward to seeing you there and I'll bring my HoloLens so we can have a, a conversation in spatial. Well, how about this? Let's have our conversation in spatial before. Spatial is fun when we're in the same place, but it's even better when we're in totally different places. So Amazing. Let's do it. Well, thank you. 
And thank you everyone for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast was another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing business across every industry. To learn more about Spatial, visit spatial.is, S-P-A-T-I-A-L.is. Thank you so much, Jacob. Thanks, Alan. Talk soon. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game, and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com, and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.